back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. We just heard about some gyms in Chicago working to create inclusive environments where anyone is welcome to work out and improve their health. But what do we even mean by health in 2022? In popular culture, health is often measured by things like Bass Body Index, Bass Body Mass Index, weight, or whether you appear too skinny or fat. But those metrics are often superficial and inaccurate predictors of wellness. So why do they continue to be so prominent? Well, our next guest thinks that part of the answer can be found by examining Christianity and the ways that it's informed our beliefs about body image and health. Joining us now is Michelle Lewicka, professor of religion at Concordia College in Minnesota. Welcome to Reset, Professor. Thank you for having me. So as I mentioned, you're a professor of religious studies, so I don't think that folks would immediately expect you to be talking about things like health and exercise. So how did you make that connection? Well, a couple of ways. First of all, through my own experience, I'm a recovering bulimic, and so I've had a long-term interest experientially in um, my relationship with my own body. But in you know, through my studies in graduate school, I started to see that my own experience was shaped heavily by religion. And the more that I studied, um, and my focus has been on Christianity and culture, the more I studied narratives about women's bodies in Christianity, the more I recognized that many of my own super unhealthy patterns were fueled by, by stories about our bodies that I had unwittingly absorbed, mm-hmm. including the idea that female appetites are dangerous. Oh, tell us so more. Any, so how, how, well, does, how does using a religious framework help us to understand our ideas of health? Well, let's, let's start with two things. Um, one, just etymologically, uh, the word health is related in Latin to the word salvation. And oftentimes in our culture, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in, when we listen to religious discourses on salvation, in particular Christianity, which has had the most power to influence American culture, mm-hmm. we assume it's about some otherworldly existence, what happens after you die. But in the ancient world in which Christianity arose, salvation was much more about an embodied kind of healing and that's captured in the root of salvation, which is related to salve, which means good health. So when you think about when we're pursuing good health, we're hearing religious echoes of the pursuit of salvation, or we're maybe um, experiencing you know, that pursuit, not consciously as a religious quest, but the templates that religion and Christianity in particular mm-hmm. have provided really shape that quest. Even if you think about... Um, the way that we think of a good body, it's a body that has, it's not just aesthetically good, it has moral overtones. Health these days has moral overtones. And whenever you hear moral overtones, you should notice the footprints of religion on our notions of good. And think about the way we conceptualize and pursue good bodies. Oftentimes, goodness is associated with, uh, it's, it's created through suffering. Um, that's a religious narrative, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That the more we suffer, you know, suffering is um, virtuous. We also associate uh, good bodies with control, and we associate control with virtue. And that was the second point I was going to make in my own um, 
recognizing my own experience. The epiphany happened for me when I was um, studying the writings of the early church fathers. And I, I should say that I've picked on Christianity, my analysis and my critique has focused on Christianity, although there are also resources in that tradition that can be helpful. But mm-hmm. um, the critique has focused on Christianity because it is the religion that's had the most power to shape our culture and also because it's the tradition in which I was raised. Right. But the epiphany for me came when I was studying the writings of early church fathers, and I noticed they just kept going back to Eve as um, kind of uh, the source of how sin got into the world. And if you think about that second creation story, where it's a story of the fall, think about the way sin and death come into the world. I mean, they come into the world through the act of a woman eating. Mm -hmm. And I had never thought about that, the power of that narrative and the residual power of that narrative in my own experience. And certainly it resonates with the experiences of many contemporary women. Not that they're thinking about Eve when they feel shame about giving into their supposedly disobedient and unruly appetites, but that there's a kind of echo of that story uh, throughout our culture. I see. So those are some of the ways I connected the dots between Very my own experience, my research, and then the experience. And my research has focused primarily on women, but, you know, increasingly men are recruited. Yeah. Well, you're, you're giving me several aha moments right now. I know that you've also mentioned elsewhere, Professor, many younger folks don't identify with any religion and, and perhaps they yeah. fill that void with different institutions or ideas. Just talk a bit about that and how it might connect to fitness or health. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You can think about our common quest for Americans' quest for a better body as a kind of devotional practice. And in many ways, it's uh, it could be seen as a kind of replacement for what has historically been a religious quest, not just for salvation, but for meaning, because the pursuit of wellness, which is you know, can be an incredibly important pursuit, but oftentimes it's marketed as in ways that put us at war with our body. And I think especially for people who are disenchanted with traditional religion, it can serve what has historically been a religious function, which is to provide a sense of meaning and purpose and to give us rituals and moral codes and a sense of community and a salvation myth, Mm -hmm. all of which were historically the job of traditional religion. So we don't recognize the quasi-religious valences in our pursuit of wellness, but I see them um, everywhere. Mm. And once you start to think about it that way, you'll start to notice it more. It's in our language. It's in our practices. It's in our ways of thinking. Well, you've also said in your books that it's uh, it's in our self-help books and commercials that, that talk right. about wellness. How do you see Christian ideology or language factoring into the message of, of that media? Well, I think about, you know, I think about some of the things that are in traditional Christian, some of the ideas in traditional Christianity, some of the narratives. Let me just give you an example. There was a third century church father named Tertullian, and he talked about the body as the pivot for salvation. Mm-hmm. And he used that, that's not, that's the English translation, but you get the idea the body is the pivot of salvation. In other words, how you 
treat your body and what you do with your body will determine whether you are, quote, saved, whether you're healthy, or whether you are damned, whether you're unhealthy, if I'm going to translate that into modern language. And that is how we often relate to our own bodies today. If I control my body, I'm good. I feel good. If I lose control, I feel bad and I deserve to be punished. I deserve to, you know, the religious equivalent of that is I deserve to be in hell. Mm. So these um, religious narratives, I think, show up even in and maybe um, unwittingly in people who are not religious. So it doesn't matter whether you're religious or not. I think my point is that these religious narratives are part of our cultural heritage. Yeah. And our cultural heritage includes these religious narratives. In American pop culture, there tends to be an obsession with thinness and Mm -hmm. a focus on metrics like body mass index and weight and body fat. Mm -hmm. Those are the key indicators of whether you're healthy. What do you think gets missed when, when we relate to health using those measurements? You know, those measurements really pull our attention away from what I think is the fundamental question of health. If we're going to talk about what does health really mean, it has to at least include, if not prioritize, our relationship with our body. So the BMI, the body mass index, for example, doesn't talk about how are we relating to our body. And in that sense, it often can become a tool for just beating ourselves up, for not having a more friendly relationship with our body. So for me, a healthy relationship with your body is going to be produce healthy outcomes. Mm -hmm. Pursuing those kinds of metrics without examining our healthy relationship, without examining our attitude towards our body. For example, if we absorb some of the narratives of self-help and commercial culture, we are absorbing language and ideas that are really combative and almost colonial when you think about the language of conquer your appetite or um, blast belly fat. Look at the covers of some of those, you know, magazines or social media feeds. You know, you can control um, your appetite. You can triumph over any kind of physical disability. This is not just about um, thinness, although that tends to be one of the most shared ways we pursue health. Um, But it's also all kinds of other um, ways that our bodies elude our control, whether it's aging, we're supposed to defy aging, Mm -hmm. we're supposed to go to war against disability, we're supposed to conquer chronic illness, as if we are this kind of omnipotent, you know, we've, we've created this image of ourselves as omnipotent human beings that reflects our traditional understandings of God as this omnipotent being. And um, both are really problematic when it comes to developing a healthy relationship to our bodies. So what sources do you think then that we could turn to for ideas about health that that would lead to a more nurturing and more Mm. compassionate view of our bodies? Yeah. Well, let's start with, um, I, I love that there are gyms out there that you're talking about that are promoting more inclusive understandings of health. And just as in religion, there are mentalities that are you might say one size fits all um, that are dangerous and damaging and have been used for colonial purposes, we can translate um, or transfer the idea of more uh, appreciation for spiritual diversity into more appreciation for physical diversity. Mm -hmm. So pathways to health that 
um, affirm that health comes in more than just one size. Yeah. The health at every size movement is really great at articulating that. Um, they use a lot of peer reviewed research to support the notion that health can happen in a variety of different kinds of bodies and that a healthy relationship to our bodies includes self-love and yeah. shame is counterproductive to that. So I think we can find um, messages even in traditional religion that yeah. counter um, those shame narratives. The idea that your body is a temple is a beautiful message if we don't turn it into um, one that requires us to go to war right, with our right. bodies. We'll have to leave it there. That's Michelle Lewicka, professor of religion at Concordia College. Very interesting. Thank you, Professor. Thank you so much.